0: CHAPTER Nine OF THE MORNING OF JOY BY HORATIUS BONAR THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN THE PRESENCE OF THE LORD To love in absence, though with the knowledge of being beloved, and with the certainty of meeting ere long, is but a mingled joy. It contents us in the room of something better and more blessed, but it lacks that which true love longs for, the presence of the beloved one. That presence fills up the joy and turns every shadow into brightness. Especially when this time of absence is a time of weakness and suffering and endurance of wrong, when dangers come thickly around and enemies spare not, and advantage is taken by the strong to vex or injure the defenceless, then love in absence, though felt to be a sure consolation, is found to be insufficient, and the heart cheers itself with the thought that the interval of loneliness is brief, and that the days of separation are fast running out. It is with such feelings that we look forward to our meeting with Him whom, having not seen, we love, and anticipate the joy of being forever with the Lord. That day of meeting has in it enough of gladness to make up for all the past, and then it is eternal. It is not meeting today and parting tomorrow, it is meeting once and forever. To see him face to face, even for a day, how blessed! To be with him for a lifetime or an age, even though with intervals of absence between, how gladdening! But to be with him forever, or always as it stands in the original, this surely is the very filling up of all our joy. Has not the Lord, however, been always with us? Has he not said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world? Yes, nor ought the church to undervalue this nearness, this fellowship. It is no shadow or fancy, it is reality. It is that same reality to which the Lord referred when he said, He that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. John 14.21 Or, as the old versions have it, will show mine own self to him. For when Jude put the question, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself to us and not to the world? That is, how shall it be that the world shall not see thee, and yet we who are living in the world shall see thee? How is it that we shall have thy presence, and yet the world have it not? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. So that thus we have had the Lord always with us, nay, making his abode with us. It was when first we gave credit to the divine testimony concerning the free love of God in the gift of his Son, that we drew nigh to him, and he to us. It was then that he came in unto us, and took up his abode with us. It was when we heard his voice, and opened the door, that he came in to sup with us. And it is this conscious presence, this presence which faith realises, that cheers us amid tribulation here. In the furnace we have one like the Son of Man to keep us company, and to prevent the flame from kindling upon us. But this is, after all, incomplete. It is the enjoyment of as much fellowship as can be tasted in absence, but it is no more, nor is it intended to supersede something nearer and more complete, far less to make us content with absence." "'Nay, its tendency is to make us less and less satisfied with absence. "'It gives us such a relish for intercourse "'that we long for communion more unhindered, eye to eye and face to face. "'This closer intercourse, this actual vision, this bodily nearness we are yet to enjoy. "'The hope given us is to be with the Lord, with him in a way such as we have never been. "'Let no one despise this nearness, nor speak evil of it, as if it were material and carnal.' Many speak as if their bodies were a curse, as if matter were some piece of miscreation to which we had unnaturally and unhappily been fastened. And others tell us that actual intercourse, such as we refer to the intercourse of vision and voice, is a poor thing, not to be named beside the other, which is, as they conceive, the deeper and the truer. But is it so? Is matter so despicable? Are our bodies such hindrances to true fellowship, is the eye nothing, the ear nothing, the smile nothing, the voice nothing, the embrace nothing, the clasping of the hand nothing? Is personal communion a hindrance to earthly friendships? Can the friend enjoy the friend as well afar off as near? Is it no matter to the wife though her husband be unseen and distant? Granting that we can still love and receive love in return, is distance no barrier? Does absence make no blank? Do we slight bodily presence, visible intercourse, as worthless, almost undesirable? Is not the reverse one of the most deep-seated feelings of our nature? And is it not to this deep-seated feeling that the Incarnation appeals? Is that Incarnation useless, save as furnishing a victim for the altar and providing blood for the cleansing of the worshipper? No, the Incarnation brings God nigh to us in a way such as could not have been done by any other means. He became bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, that we might have a being like ourselves to commune with, to love, to lean upon. In that day when we shall be with the Lord, we shall know to the full the design of God in the incarnation of His Son, and taste the blessedness of seeing Him as He is. The time of this meeting is His coming, not till then. Before that there is distance and imperfection. I know that in the disembodied state there will be greater nearness and fuller enjoyment than now. And this the Apostle longed for when he had the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Even before the resurrection there is a being with Christ more satisfying than what we enjoy here, a being with Christ which is truly far better nor would I disparage this blessedness. But still this is not to be compared with the resurrection nearness and resurrection fellowship, when, in a way up till that time unknown, we shall be introduced into the very presence of the King, all distance annihilated, all fellowship completed, all joy consummated, all coldness done away, all shadows dissipated, and so we shall ever be with the Lord." but for the better understanding of this subject, let us look to the way in which the Apostle handles it in administering comfort to the Thessalonian church, some of whom had been giving way to immoderate grief for the dead. The grief of the heathen was immoderate, and their expressions of it equally so. No wonder. Their hearts beat with as firm a pulse as ours, and natural affection was as strong with them as with us. The husband mourned the wife, the wife the husband, The parent mourned the child, the child the parent. Friends wept over the grave of friends. The breaking of these ties was bitter, and the special sting was that they had no hope of reunion. Death to them was a parting forever, not as when one parts in the morning to meet at even, or as when one parts this year to meet a few years hence. It was a hopeless separation. At the best it was a vague uncertainty, to which deep grief gives no heed. More commonly, it was despair. Their sorrow was desperate, their wound incurable. The Thessalonian saints were sorrowing as those that had no hope, as if they had buried their beloved brethren in an eternal tomb. For this, the Apostle reproves them. He points out the hope, a sure hope, a blessed hope, a hope fitted to bring true comfort. Them that sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. They are not lost. They have only been laid to sleep by Jesus, and he will awake them when he returns and bring them up out of their tombs. Their departure cannot be called dying, it is only sleeping. It has nothing of the despair of death about it. Death has lost its sting, the shroud its gloom, the grave its terrors. It is an end of pain, it is a ceasing from toil. Blessed are the dead that die in the Lord, for they rest from their labors. But the apostle looks beyond the resting place thy brother shall rise again. God himself will uncover their tomb and call them up at the return of him who is the resurrection and the life. And this, says he, we say unto you by the word of the Lord. He gives this consolation to them as a certainty, having in it nothing vague or doubtful, a certainty proclaimed by himself and resting on the Lord's own words to his disciples ere he left the earth regarding his advent and the gathering of his elect to him. The Lord is to come. This is the certainty the Lord is to come, and in that coming are wrapped up all the hopes of his saints. Of these saints there will be two classes when he comes. One, those that are alive and remain, the last generation of the church, for says the apostle elsewhere, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. 1 Corinthians 15:51. Two, those that have fallen asleep. These forming the large number doubtless, for the sleeping ones of all ages shall be there. It might be supposed that the living ones would have the advantage as being alive when the Lord arrives, but no, it is not so. They may have some advantages, they never taste death, they are like Enoch and Elijah, they know not the grave, they see no corruption, in their case soul and body are never separated, they do not meet the king of terrors nor fall under his power. Footnote. Thus Richard Baxter wrote, Would it not rejoice your hearts if you were sure to live to see the coming of the Lord, and to see his glorious appearing and retinue? If you were not to die, but to be caught up thus to meet the Lord, would you be averse to this? Would it not be the greatest joy that you could desire? For my own part, I must confess to you that death, as death, appeareth to me as an enemy, and my nature doth abhor and fear it. But the thoughts of the coming of the Lord are most sweet and joyful to me, so that if I were but sure that I should live to see it, and that the trumpet should sound and the dead should rise and the Lord appear before the period of my age, it would be the joyfullest tidings to me in the world. Oh, that I might see his kingdom come! It is the character of his saints to love his appearing, and to look for that blessed hope, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, even so, come, Lord Jesus." Come quickly is the voice of faith and hope and love. But I find not that his servants are thus characterized by their desire to die. It is therefore the presence of their Lord that they desire, but it is death that they abhor. And therefore, though they can submit to death, it is the coming of Christ that they love and long for. If death be the last enemy to be destroyed at the resurrection, we may learn how earnestly believers should long and pray for the second coming of Christ, when this full and final conquest shall be made. There is something in death that is penal even to believers, but in the coming of Christ and their resurrection there is nothing but glorifying grace. Works, volume 17, page 555 to 590. End of footnote. These are privileges, and yet it might be said, on the other hand, that these saints do not taste the gladness of resurrection, that they are not conformed to their Lord in this, that he died and rose. Still the end in both cases is the same. The one shall have no advantage, no preeminence over the other. Both are presented faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, both equally faultless, though each has undergone a different process for the accomplishing of this. Thus, the one being changed and the other raised, they are formed into one company, marshaled into one mighty army, and then caught up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The particulars of this coming, in so far as the Apostle gives them, let us briefly look into. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven. The same Jesus that ascended, he who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, he, his own self, shall come, come in like manner as he was seen to go into heaven, with a shout, This is the shout of a monarch's retinue, the shout of a great army. Just as God is said to have gone up with shouts, so is he to return, return with the shout of the conqueror, the shout of triumph. The voice of the archangel. A solitary voice is then heard making some mighty announcement, such as that of the angel standing upon sea and earth, and proclaiming that there should be time no longer. Revelation 10.6, or of that other angel with whose glory the earth was lightened, crying with a loud voice, Babylon is fallen, Revelation 18.2, or of that other angel who cried with a loud voice to all the fowls of heaven, come gather yourselves unto the supper of the great God, Revelation 19.17, the trump of God, it is elsewhere called the last trump. 1 Corinthians 15.52, it is God's own trumpet, the trumpet that awakes the dead, not a voice merely, as if that were too feeble for such a purpose, nor a common trumpet, but the trump of God, one that can pierce the grave and awake the dead. These are the steps and the accompaniments of the advent. There is first the shout of the angelic host, as the Redeemer leaves his seat above to take possession of his kingdom here. This shout is continued as he descends, THEN, AS HE APPROACHES NEARER, THE MULTITUDE OF THE HEAVENLY HOST IS SILENT, AND A SOLITARY VOICE IS HEARD, THE VOICE OF THE ARCHANGEL UTTERING GOD'S MESSAGE, THEN COMES THE TRUMPET THAT CALLS FORTH THE SLEEPING JUST, THEY OBEY THE CALL, THEY ARISE, NO HOLY DUST REMAINS BEHIND, THEY PUT ON IMMORTALITY, THEN JOINED BY THE TRANSFIGURED AND GLORIFIED LIVING, THEY HASTE UPWARDS TO THE EMBRACE OF THEIR BELOVED LORD. It is into the clouds or cloud that they are caught up, that cloud or clouds which in all likelihood rested above Eden, making it the place of the presence of the Lord, Genesis 3.8, 4.14 and 16 which appeared to Moses at the bush, which led Israel over the Red Sea and through the desert, which covered Sinai, which dwelt in the tabernacle and in the temple, which Isaiah saw, which Ezekiel described, which shone down upon the Son of God at his baptism and transfiguration, which received him out of sight at his ascension, which Stephen saw when breathing out his soul, which smote Saul to the ground on his way to Damascus, which last of all appeared to John in Patmos, and which we know shall yet reappear, in the latter day. Into this cloud of the divine presence, this symbol of the excellent glory, Jehovah's tent or dwelling place, the ark of our safety against the flood of fire, shall the saints be caught up when the Lord appears and the voices heard from heaven, Awake and sing, ye that dwell in dust. And as it was said in Israel, the song of the Lord began with trumpets, 2 Chronicles 29-27, even so with the trump of God shall our resurrection song begin. Thus with songs shall we go up on high, our songs of the night being exchanged for the songs of the morning. They shall be songs of deliverance, with which we shall then be compassed about in that day when we get up into our hiding place to be preserved from trouble, Psalm 32, 7, when we enter into our chambers and shut our doors about us until the indignation be overpassed, Isaiah 28:20. No longer in a strange land, or by the rivers of Babylon, shall we sing our songs. No longer in the house of our pilgrimage, or in the wilderness shall we make melody, but in the king's own presence, in the great congregation, in the new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from God. Then, standing upon the sea of glass, and beholding the judgments of God made manifest, Revelation 152 2-4. As Israel did when Pharaoh and his chariots sank like lead in the mighty waters, we sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Thus caught up into the cloud, we meet the Lord in the air, as those do who go forth to meet a friend already on his way to them. Acts 28:15. We meet Him in order that, being there acquitted, acknowledged, and confessed by Him before His Father and before the angels, we may form His retinue, and come with Him to execute vengeance, to judge the world, to share His triumphs, to reign with Him in His glorious kingdom. Zechariah 14.5, 1 Thessalonians 3.13, Jude 14, Revelation 2.26, 3.21. Thus meeting the Lord, we are to be ever with Him. He with us, and we with him for ever. So shall we ever be with the Lord. That is, as we then shall meet, so we shall never part. As is our meeting, so is our eternal communion, our continuance in the presence of his glory. We shall see him face to face, and his name shall be in our foreheads sitting upon the same throne, dwelling under the same roof, hearing His voice, having free access to Him at all times, doing His will, going forth on His errands. This shall be the joy of our eternity. No distance, that is annihilated. No estrangement, that is among the things that are absolutely impossible. No cloud between, that is swept away and cannot reappear. No coldness, for love is always full. No interruption, for who can come between the bridegroom and the bride. No change, for he makes us like himself, without variableness. No parting, for we have reached our home to go out no more. No end, for the duration of our fellowship is the life of the ancient of days, of him who is from everlasting to everlasting. With the Lord it would be much to be with Enoch, or with Abraham, or with Moses, or with Elijah, or with Paul, much to share their fellowship, to have converse with them on the things of God and the story of their own wondrous lives, How much more to be with the Lord! To be like Peter at his side, like Mary at his feet, like John in his bosom! To have met him in the streets of Jerusalem, or by the Sea of Galilee, or at Jacob's well, to have heard him name your name and salute you as he passed, with the wish of peace, to have dwelt in the next house to his at Nazareth, to have been a guest at the table of Lazarus when he was there, to have slept under that roof, it might be in the apartment next to the Lord of Glory! How much should we have valued privileges such as these, treasuring them in memory, like gold? Nay, even to hear the tidings of his love, to have a message from him, to be told that he was gracious to us and kept us in mind, to be anywhere beyond the reach of sin and pain, how much? Oh, what then must it be to be with the Lord, with him in his glory, with him as a friend is with the friend, with him as the bride is with the bridegroom, saying without fear or cheek, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. And hearing him say in return, Thou art all fair, my love, there is no spot in thee. Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse, with me from Lebanon. Look from the top of Amana, from the top of Shania and Hermon. Thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. Thou hast ravished my heart with one of thine eyes, with one turn of thy neck. How fair is thy love, my sister, my spouse! How much better is thy love than wine! Song of Solomon, 4, 7-10 to Ever with the Lord. This soothes all sorrow and sums up all joy. If even here we can say so gladly and so surely I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, how much more gladly and surely shall we be able to say it then? forever to behold him shine, for forevermore to call him mine. This is what we look for, this is our watchword and our song, even in the day of absence and sorrow, and it is this that makes the expected morning so truly a morning of joy. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness, I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Psalm 1715 Footnote Hasten, O my Saviour, the time of thy return. Send forth thine angels, and let that dreadful, joyful trumpet sound. Delay not, lest the living give up their hopes. Delay not, lest earth should grow like hell, and lest thy church by division be crumbled all to dust. Delay not, lest the grave should boast of victory, and having learnt rebellion of its guest, should plead prescription, and refuse to deliver thee up thy due." O hasten that great resurrection day, when thy command shall go forth, and none shall disobey, when the sea and earth shall yield up their hostages, and all that sleep shall awake, and the dead in Christ shall first arise, when the seed that thou sowedest corruptible shall come forth incorruptible, and the graves that received but rottenness, and retained but dust, shall return thee glorious stars and suns. Return, O Lord, how long? O let thy kingdom come. Thy desolate bride saith, Come, for thy spirit within her saith, Come, the whole creation saith, Come, waiting to be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Thyself hath said, Surely I come. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Baxter, Works, Volume 23, Page 449-450 End End of chapter 9